morning. Hope everybody is doing well this morning. Thankful that we get to be together. What a blessing it is for us to study Scripture together, be together, and focus on Jesus together. This time, I know next week or next Sunday, our graduates uh, will be recognized, but I know our graduation, ours in Glasgow, was Friday night and Barron's was last night. And uh, so congratulations to all graduates everywhere, uh, especially I want to thank you all for the assistance you've getting helped us getting our kids to the point of graduation. It takes a village, but it definitely takes a church. So we appreciate you all helping us get our, our two children to uh, that point of walking across the line. And just as a side note, necessarily, uh, a few years ago, I heard somebody giving advice to somebody who was going to the next level of life, a graduation. And I remember three points that always stuck out to me. I like to share those. Own your faith, own your values, and live for Christ. And that seems simple, but very weighty, and very appropriate, and very important. So all graduates everywhere, we congratulate you. We wish you the best, and know that South Green Street Church of Christ is always here for you. Um, in a world that seems to be more and more cluttered with frustrations, we're weighted down, we're busy, things get complicated, we have uncertainties, we have physical pain, emotional pain, financial pain maybe. Aren't we thankful that God only wants us to live simply for Him? There's so much pressure in our society to be successful. I'd like to share an article with you from the New York Post in March of 2018. They did a study regarding the busyness of American families. It just simply says this, American families get just 37 minutes of quality time together per day, according to a new research. A study of 2,000 parents with school-aged children across the country found the extent to which hectic routines take a toll during the work week and the families polled managing less than 45 minutes a day together on a typical weekday. Many families are still struggling for time to properly bond and enjoy time with each other without distraction. That might be because 60% of parents describe their daily lives as hectic. And one in four say the lack of family quality, time away from chores, work, school, or TV is a real problem. Now, that was from 2018. You didn't need a study. You didn't need any research. You didn't need anyone to put together a dissertation and explain that to you. That's not news to you because you and I are in the real world. We're in reality. We know that life is challenging. We know that life is very, very busy. What happens when we get busy is things get clouded. I know with me, my Post-it notes have Post-it notes. My personal notes to myself of to-do lists reminds me to go to another location and find that notebook that's got all those lists in it. Life gets busy, and when that happens, things get clouded. We get tired emotionally. We get physically worn down, and when that happens, we are taken away from Christ, and we fail to live simply for God. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 
verses 13 through 14, says the duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every single thing, whether good or evil. If you go ahead and advance the next slide, please. I've got two slides of scriptures. And if you're a note taker, if you want to follow along, I'm going to slow down and read each one of those so you don't have to worry about trying to scribble and keep up. But I just have this slide and one more. And we're going to talk about each one of those. But something that I've known in light of Ecclesiastes um, chapter 12, 13, and 14, as I think about as I've grown older, the one person that I struggle with the most in the church, in the workplace, anywhere, is me. I complicate everything, pointing the finger at me. My struggles typically point back to the things I want, my desires. I've got to have it my way. It's got to be my schedule. I want to buy these things. I need this because I just need it. And at the end of the day, I am the one who complicates it all. But the good news is God's message for us is not complicated. His message is not confusing. His message is comforting and is very, very clear. His expectations are something that we can grasp and apply and grow towards. He's saying in so many words, be my disciple and stop being concerned with your desires, with the things you want all the time. The word disciple in the New Testament is used 269 more times than the word Christian. Now, the word Christian is important. That's the name that Jesus has stamped on us. We know that that's important. But the word used to teach us what a Christian should be is disciple. We're supposed to be disciplining ourselves to be like our master and our savior each and every day. You think about what you practice if you are an attorney, if you're a doctor, if you are a carpenter, a welder, a teacher, and the list goes on and on and on. Whatever you do every day, what do you do? You practice it. You condition yourself. You're focused. You're studying. You're growing. As a disciple, we're to do the same thing each and every day. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, it begins really with two things. Our focus and our vision, followed by our energy day in and day out. Verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You think about what is our need. The need is for us to focus on simplicity, not complexity. Each day we're given two choices, that we can spend our calories chasing things that do not matter from a material standpoint, from a professional standpoint, it's going to lead to greater earthly prosperity, or we can spend our time choosing things, our activities, that's going to lead us to a greater conditioning of being a disciple for future eternal rewards. It's not only about making our lives simple and being minimalist, it's more about simply making our life about the kingdom of God each and every day. 
You think about what your role is in the church, what my role is in the Lord's army. We do this by looking at the example of Christ. How did Jesus live? He lived a very simple life, lived as a carpenter. Now, through some research that I've conducted, we always say carpenter, but carpentry also includes during that time some stone cutting. Uh, even today, and we'll talk a little more about that, about the, the dynamic profession of being a carpenter. It's more than driving nails in a board. Trust me, I can't do that either. But I know people who are very proficient at the carpentry profession. And you think about how simple Jesus lived. Complex skill set to be a carpenter, but yet he lived very simply. You think about one of the words when we think about Jesus and his simple life on earth working as a carpenter. You think about even today, skilled trades. Terry Bunnell and I were talking Wednesday night in the foyer, and we were talking about the level of expertise required now also comes with a level of compensation for skilled trades. And our son is considering that profession. And I don't see that dollar amount going down anytime soon. You get paid for your worth. That's your stock and trade. And the point is that even today, 2,000 years later, it's not an easy life being a carpenter, a stone cutter, a skilled laborer. Jesus required true skills, tools, a place to work. He needed to understand the type of raw materials that he'd be working with, that carpenters work with. It took time to build things because all work was done by hand. No power tools. DeWalt didn't exist. You know, we, there was, it took a long time to do things. And on top of that, physically demanding. to be, You'd be in pretty good shape to serve and work as a carpenter today and then as well. At the end of the day, Jesus is our Savior, but from a carpenter, stonecutter standpoint, hardworking and humble servant. He chose to live simply. Now, he could have had a home. He could have had a thriving business. Could have done very well. But he chose to travel around. He chose to preach. He chose to heal. He chose to perform miracles. And he trained others, just like we're being trained to be disciples today. He trained his apostles to become his witnesses after his death and resurrection. If you look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Jesus' life in every practical sense, and you think about your life and my life, you think about we have 168 hours in a week, we have seven calendar days, we have four calendar weeks, and, and, the, and you know the math of our calendar. But each and every day, he was unencumbered by the physical restraints of a world. That You think about the restrictions that we have. Well, I can't do this. I've got this appointment. I'm double booked at this time. I can't, I can't teach that Bible class, or I can't attend worship, or I can't uh, lead a home devotional because the list goes on. You think about... Are we sometimes focused on gathering, adding, climbing, that we become enslaved by opportunity and prosperity? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. We can reflect on the greatest sacrifice in history. By means of his sacrifice, we have received the greatest treasure than any man that we could ever know. We are richer beyond of what maybe we even understand sometimes. That should motivate us to live simply for him. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 tells us to have this attitude in ourselves. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself even to the point of, the de of death on the cross. Jesus came up, gave up heaven to become a man, to be like us, to show us how to live. Not only did he give up heaven to become a man, he gave up heaven to become a servant. Not only a servant, but a humble servant. Lowly man became a bondservant, a man without a place to live. You think about how his adult life was documented. You think of, compared to our adult lives, all the things that we're constantly seeking, all the things that we're constantly after. A man without a bed of his own, a man without a place to live. And you think about Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. You think about Paul. Similar lifestyle, you might say, although we know Paul uh, helped maintain a profession uh, as a, a tent maker, as scholars tell us, to support himself and other missionaries. Verse 7 of Philippians 3 says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Paul is saying that he gave up all the trappings of life, all the snares of life, all the agendas, all of the hoops to jump through, all of the promotions, all of the expansions of, of acreage. He gave up all of that because he wanted to follow Christ. You think about knowing what it means to know someone. We have an awareness. We have a relationship. Christ gives us the expectation. Paul wanted to be like Christ. He, wanted, he counted everything else as rubbish. We have very few examples of people living like that. We have examples of people in Acts selling property and bringing it to the apostles to, so people's needs could be met. We have examples of people having a home, having a place to live. We know that Paul maintained a livelihood and at times had places to stay. The Bible does not teach that you cannot have possessions to be a Christian. The Bible does not teach that in order to be a Christian, you must not have a job, you must not have a home, or almost no clothes. But if you go back to Matthew 6, we see we're being taught an attitude. We're being taught an attitude towards possessions, money, and clothing. An attitude that's simple. You think about humanity. Sometimes we find so many ways to kind of mess things up sometimes, to cloud things, to maybe complicate things, to make things complex. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 29 says, Truly this only I have found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. You think about all the devices that have been created by man. You think about all the things in our lifetime, all the mechanisms that have been put in place that has complicated our lives, that we, next thing you know, we are taken away from our relationship with Christ. How did God make man? To be good? To be upright? 
to be close to Him and to reflect God's attributes. But we have gotten away from that because we struggle. In Matthew 6, we're, we see the temptation to focus on physical needs. We all struggle in this area. I struggle in this area. I see things that people have, and I'm thinking, I may want that too. I'd like to have that for my family. I sometimes buy things that I don't need. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. No one can serve two masters. We can't serve God and serve society. We cannot serve God in wealth. God does not say that we can't be successful. God doesn't say we can't be wealthy. God doesn't say you cannot be rich by those standards. He's saying you cannot serve wealth. You cannot make wealth the most important thing in your life. can't even make wealth 1A if you rank things. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 through 23 talks about the eye, the power of the eye. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You think about what the eye reveals. The eye reveals the person's inner thoughts, inner life, inner thoughts. A healthy eye is loyal to God. An unhealthy eye is impa has impaired vision. Moral corruption, seeking more and more and more earthly attainment. You think about where do we spend our life each day, or how do we spend our life? What do we do to ensure our future? How do we spend our years? Someone once told me that how we spend our days is how we spend our years. How we spend our years is how we spend our life. We are always constantly preparing for the future, in which we should. We should be preparing for our Eternally, we should be preparing physically. Uh, my parents were born and, and kind of grew up at the end of the Great Depression. So they saved everything. I'm talking about I grew up with buckets of ketchup packets, mustard packets. Anybody ever have a full, nice set of Cool Whip bowls? I had no idea. I thought, every, I thought we were very affluent. We had a we had wide range of Cool Whip bowls, McDonald's cups. We had our own sets. But then I learned later it's because that when you are constantly preparing for your physical needs, you don't know what's going to happen, especially at the end of the Great Depression, uh, an economic downturn, a war. You don't have those things. And I find myself, even today, I still have that attitude. My family will buy me socks for Christmas from three years ago. Guess where they are? Still in the package, in a drawer somewhere. I might need those one day. Is the attitude that you have. We're always preparing for the future. You, and we all want to prepare for the future. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 30. We see what Jesus is saying. He's telling us to seek Him first, and all of our needs will be met. Matthew 6, 25 through 30 says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
Which of you, by wearing, can add one cubit to its stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now here, Jesus' audience is dealing with a faith issue. He's reminding them that you're not in charge of your future. God is. And if you'll submit your life and your security to Christ, everything else will be taken care of. And that message is for us as well. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34, what should our eye be focused on? Therefore we do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If you notice, Jesus doesn't say you don't need food, you don't need to pay your water bill, you don't need to pay your house payment, you don't need to pay any of your bills, you don't need clothes, you don't need a job. He's not saying any of those things. He's saying to put God first and everything else will be added to you. When we submit our life to Christ, our needs and our anxiety are reduced. We're not worried about five years from now, 10 years from now, or 20 years down the road. He takes care of us one day at a time, living simply. This should reduce all the challenges in our life, not eliminate. I'm, I'm not saying that. But it should cause us to refocus, retool, and rethink. You think about the things that we seek after. I mentioned that I, like you, I like to buy things, purchase things. When I was a little kid, I couldn't, uh, you know, you got one pair of shoes per year, if you remember those, those days. And even today, when I buy clothes, I seldom buy them because I need them. I Sometimes I'm still dealing with a, a growing problem. I'm still growing, but I'm growing the other way. I sometimes have to buy them because I've outgrown something. Uh, but yet, I want things because I see other people have them. And I, like you, I like new shoes. I like new vehicles. I like fresh paint. But when you stop and realize that you don't buy those things with money, sure, you write a check or you give bills to pay for those, but what are you really paying? What are we really paying with those, paying for those things with? We're paying with our health. If you work 75, 80, 90 hours a week, we're paying with time away from our family, not being there when we need to be there. We're paying across the board with so many things for things that's not going to advance the borders of God's kingdom, and it's not going to help strengthen us as a disciple. You think about how we're spending our hours, our time. Are our talents advancing the, God, the kingdom of God? Are we having an internal eternal impact. John chapter 4 verse 34 says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of God, of the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What should our mission be? Well, our mission should be to do God's will, to do his work first. First, first Timothy chapter 6 verse 8 says, 
And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Living simply requires us to remove clutter from our lives, reduce our schedule, and focus on the mission. When we realize, and realize is a, is a term that, that we kind of use in different ways, but when I use the word realize, it means to bring understanding. Realize, you might say in simple terms, I'm plugged in. When I realize my, etern- my purpose is eternally, we avoid the allure and the beauty of greed. We want to say we should be saying no to all those material things that's taking us away from our families, from Christ, and an opportunity to grow as a disciple. You think about what distracts us from doing God's will. Having more than one important goal makes our path crooked. You know, there's some words in our vocabulary are not used maybe because they're not socially acceptable, because maybe they, that we're a softer, our feelings get hurt a little easier maybe. But even in my generation, there was a word that you don't hear. It was used a lot. You don't hear much anymore. Crooked. Uh, I remember I read uh, or saw a video with President Nixon. He went to the Grand Ole Opry. He and Roy Acuff, they did the opening together. President, And he used that opportunity, President Nixon that is, he used that opportunity to say at the height of the Watergate scandal, I'm not a crook. I'm not a crook. I'm not crooked. And you don't hear that term anymore. But crooked just simply means to go back and forth. You think about crooked being not upright, not in a straight line. We don't use that phrase much anymore, even spiritually. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 13 says, talks about uprightness and not being crooked or crooked. From those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. You think about those who leave the paths of being upright. They walk a path that's wicked. They rejoice in what is harmful. And they deceive themselves and others to entrapment. You think about their paths are crooked, devious ways. If you ever try to do two things at once, I can't. I cannot multitask. I try a lot. I try really hard. But I can only pick one thing generally and focus on that. If we try to do two things at the same level of importance, you're going to become divided. We're going to become divided. If you trust your temporary future to yourself, you're constantly going back and forth, back and forth. And one day you'll look back and you'll see a crooked line. You'll see a crooked path because you went back and forth. That's what crooked means. You think about when we're pulled in so many directions that it creates dysfunction, it creates disgruntlement, creates division. Our focus, our singular purpose, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, should focus on the kingdom of God. God will take care of everything else. There's a gentleman named Richard Foster. He wrote a book called Celebration of Disciplines. And he said this. Now, Mr. Foster uses some pretty stinging adjectives and statements, but Jesus has already told us, we're already told that you can't serve God and man. Mr. Foster kind of paraphrases that in his book. He says, we really must understand that the desire for affluence in a contemporary society is psychotic. It is psychotic because it has lost touch with reality. We crave things we neither need nor enjoy, 
We buy things we do not want to impress people we do not like. We are made to feel ashamed to wear clothes or drive cars until they're worn out. The mass media has convinced us to be out of step with fashion, is to be out of step with reality. It is time we awaken to the fact that conformity to a society is to be sick. Now, if we all want things that we think that we deserve all the time and we want to wear things and we want to purchase all those things that's going to take us away from Christ, it's going to take us away from our families, it's going to impact our health, then what's going to happen is we're going to end up where the world ends up. We're going to end up where society ends up. God wants our faith in Him, not our prosperity. He does not care about our earthly prosperity. He does not care about our, uh, continual tremendous success on earth. He wants our faith in Him. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21 says this, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetedness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So he, so is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Matthew 6, 19 says, Do not 